51 seconds in, 98 yards later, Gabriel Davis to the house. That's what we call a week five prediction. And these are our week five reactions. Hayden Winks, John Daigle. I am Josh Norris on this show. Yes, we have the instant reactions for every single game of week five, a loaded slate full of big, big plays to the players that you spent high draft capital on going through all the details that you have might have missed along the way. And gentlemen, we have to start off with one of our favorite players of the show that we keep hyping up and who finally came through with us in this Steelers at Bengals contest, 38 to three Hayden Winks. Quick word on what Gabriel Davis means to you after such a dominant performance of three catches, 171 yards and two scores. Yeah, just not doing that well in my target share league still, though, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, this is why we watched the film and we realized he was playing through an ankle injury and then he goes nuts this week. Yeah, he's not going to have the target share. He's not going to have all that stuff. But when you're attached to, uh, you know, Josh Allen, good things tend to happen. Uh, and yeah, went went deep downfield twice early and that was that was history. Let's whenever talk that. Go ahead, Daigle. In the 444 Discord this morning, whenever I was asked who I was most afraid of that I didn't have in DFS or in Battle Royals, the answer was Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and Gabriel Davis. You can't say Gabriel Davis doesn't have a ceiling when literally in his last five games prior to this week, five games, he showed you he has a 200-yard four touchdown ceiling. It just doesn't make any sense. So let's talk about that. The Buffalo Bills muff the opening kickoff. They're stuck on their own two-yard line. Third and 10 inside their own five. We talked about it prior to going live here. I truly have no idea what coverage this is over the top where both you have Stefan Diggs and, yes, Gabriel Davis on the outside. As soon as the ball is snapped, the safety split, so they're double-teamed. Yet Gabriel Davis, who practiced this entire week heading into this game, Splits his matchup, takes it to the house for 98 yards. Then, following that play, third and 12 conversion by Kenny Pickett to opposite hash George Pickens. Very nice throw. Another third and four conversion to get his own third down of a gain of nine. And then a nearly third down conversion to Deontay Johnson, who had multiple of those today. If the uh, field was 161 yards or feet wide, then uh, he would have about 200 more yards on his resume this season. And once again, we're followed it up by a Gabriel Davis 60 yard touchdown that he took away from Gabe from Minka Fitzpatrick over the middle of the field. At that point, despite a previous interception on another Gabriel Davis end zone target, it was 24 to three and the game was over. Now, Mike Tomlin did not help himself. Hayden winks on a fourth and three inside of the 20 yard line. Mike Tomlin likes to kick it and it's no good. Like this would be a situation where maybe if he had more confidence in his team, if they, I don't even know. I'm trying to like come up with excuses for Mike Tomlin. Who's a very they good can't run the ball. And They're run, and run is so bad that that might be it where, you know, Najee Harris gets stuck for what 20 yards on 11 carries here today. Um, but again, 24 to three, 33, 31 to three at halftime. And by the end of it, 38 to three with, uh, Kenny Pickett trying to throw haymakers at the end after throwing for 52 passing attempts in this game, a truly one-sided affair, but it's so glad that we get more vertical passing from this Buffalo Bills offense after, you know, previous weeks where we haven't seen that yet from them this season. 
Yeah, just to touch on the Steelers, I think one of the things is they're so banged up right now on defense that I think that you're going to get a lot of volume from these pass catchers. I know Pat Frymouth leaves with a concussion, but George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Claypool, 8, 13, 9 targets. I'm not going to be too surprised if there's a bunch of games like that because their offensive line, they're not just like missing blocks because like physicality, like they're just timing, miscommunications, all of it. So I think you're going to have a lot of pass attempts from Kenny Pickett moving forward the entire secondary. And that's what, why we were on Gabe Davis this week was banged up corners, safeties, the whole thing. And a lot of that was in the second half when the game was so out of hand. And I think there's two sides, the Kenny Pickett conversation. One, he is making things happen at a much larger degree than Mitch Trubisky was earlier in this game or earlier this season. But two, his arm might not be quite as strong as, especially when you see Josh Allen the opposite end of here, but he still is trying to make these far hash throws. And again, he's giving George Pickens moments and opportunities to make plays to the degree that Tony Romo early in this game, when they had a 50 yard drive, which is the best when it was somewhat neutral script called George Pickens, a rare talent, which I think all of us from watching this John Daigle believe that. Uh, is is a possibility for him. He is the go-to player there. And I did want to add to that Pat Frymuth, he left with a concussion in the third quarter. So that's basically every single thing we can say about the Steelers. I, the Bills are a much different defense than the one that they faced last week. And I still think it's too early to say, like, what is the full-on standing of Kenny Pickett for the rest, rest of the year? But there's just not quite enough from an infrastructure standpoint of the Pittsburgh Steelers to, like, support, as Hayden said, four premier picks or five premier picks in fantasy football this season. So we're going to have to pick and choose our spots there. And you're not going to have an answer until Thanksgiving, because if you look at the Steelers next four games after this, the Bucks next week in Miami against the Dolphins, maybe Xavier Howard, Byron Jones will still be banged up. We'll see at Philadelphia against the Eagles, then against the Saints. Good luck. And even the Bengals and Colts afterwards are good defenses. Yeah. For the for the Steelers, I... It's clearly a negative, though, that Najee Harris has four targets in six quarters with Kenny Pickett. He, we, we talked about it already several weeks now. He relied solely on touches to get there since he was never an explosive player. And now those target opportunities are just not there in a different offense with different armed quarterbacks. And it's just not coming clearly with Kenny Pickett. Only thing left to say about the Bills is if Josh Allen wanted to break the single game passing record, which I think is like 524 yards. They could have done it in this game. He had 348 passing yards at halftime on 24 attempts, 348 passing yards on 24 attempts. And that allows obviously Gabe to go for 171 and two Stefan Diggs go for 102 and his touchdown on eight receptions. And even Khalil Shakur who opened with a 31 yard catch over the middle of the field, elevating over a slot cornerback, showing off the goods after Isaiah McKenzie was declared inactive due to his concussion. Um, it's just shocking that when you win 38 to three Hayden, this is a perfect epitome of who the bills are. They're not one that then just, you know, goes in their shell and starts running the football to the high degree. Because again, yes, they had 120 rushing yards granted 42 of those were from Josh Allen himself uh, because this is who they are. They throw to kill and they beat you down. And I'll be ranking Gabe Davis as a wide receiver too every single week. He looks so different. Just want to repeat that. Looks so different in this game. And this is why you watch stats versus film on Tuesdays when we dissect that when he is 70%, can't run, can't move, jogging instead of wind sprints, and then he immediately makes a big play after he has a full week of practice. Next up, 
Seahawks at the Saints. More of a track meet here. Hayden Winks, break it down with the Saints winning 39-32. to All Geno Smith does is allow both teams to put up 30-plus points in the scoreboard. Yeah, the Seahawks defense right now is tragic. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the uh, Geno Smith. Man, he is just playing. Uh, this is just the dots. He, he's controlling the pocket, stepping into the pocket, and rifling shots downfield. I mean, that ball to Tyler Lockett could not have been any better. But even the ones to DK Metcalf, DK Metcalf had a, a drop touchdown for what could have been an even bigger game. But right now, Geno Smith's playing so com composed, and the Seahawks defense has been so bad that there's all of a sudden getting into a couple shootouts here. So Tyra Lockett, DK Metcalf, every week starters. I think the Geno stuff is becoming more and more real. None of this feels very fluky. Like all these passes are just like he's stepping into the pocket. It's on time. He's got the pre-snap reads. He's always been accurate. It's just a veteran quarterback playing really well, and he's got the weapons to do. And the offensive line's holding up just enough. The big news, obviously, Rashad Penny probably out for the season with a fractured ankle uh what happened in uh after he left was dj dallas was playing a lot of the passing downs ken walker rips off a 69 yard touchdown uh great vision cut back has the speed to break off a big play so wherever you were ranking rashad penny is where i would be ranking kenneth uh walker i think that he's probably going to be the best waiver wire addition for the rest of the season, if he is somehow available, I think he was like rostering like 43% of Yahoo leagues. So it sounds crazy, but he is like the best probably pickup that you can have for the rest of the year. Let's have that conversation Daigle, because obviously you read the waiver column over at four for four. Um, he was drafted around like running back 38. Kenneth Walker was, however, our preseason opinion of the Seahawks almost has to totally change for multiple reasons, right? One, he isn't splitting the early down work with Rashad Penny anymore. And two, the Seattle offense is just flat out better than we were expecting them to be from the quarterback to the wide receivers to the running game. Better and more explosive. They only ran 49 plays today, which goes back to what they did in averaging 47 plays in weeks one and two. Remember, the two games prior, weeks three and four, they averaged 67. But also, even in running just 49 plays today, averaged over eight yards per play. So they're showing that they are more than willing to run fast now, but also they're explosive and taking more chances with more no huddle. So Kenneth Walker enters in a situation where Rashad Penny didn't get to play in until the last three weeks. So we have to value him higher now that he's the only one genuinely they will likely use. And I thought Kenneth Walker, just from a prospect model standpoint, Hayden was severely overlooked because he didn't catch passes. And so a lot of the spreadsheets and projections and dynasty community didn't love him in the same as Brees Hall, who's fantastic this year. But as a pure runner, I think it was arguable coming out of Michigan State that Kenneth Walker was just the better player. And we saw this today on his cutback run of 69 yards where he pressed the left side, cut it back, and then ran away from the New Orleans Saints defense. Like Rashad Penny wasn't going to be impeccable every single week because, you know, their offensive line on the interior is still worse than other teams, right? It is a throw first team as well. However, what Kenneth Walker brings to the table is second round pedigree and pure explosive running traits that I think arguably might be the best free agent waiver wire pickup of the entire season when we look back on the 2022 fantasy football calendar. I could see him have a kind of like an Elijah Mitchell type of season from last year where he was like not going to be maybe a top 10 running back, but locked into like RB2 status. Um, 
there was got to talk about real quick. Uh, their punter is one of the worst special teams play ever. He was like catches a punt, uh, rolls out like trying to buy some time and then never ends up punting the ball, just keeps it for like a sack. And then the, the Saints get the ball uh, score there. The big, big news on, on the Saints side. Uh, first off, Chris Olave had a great start to the game. He gets a concussion on a touchdown. He was going to go absolutely bonkers. Uh, Alvin Kamara, I thought, played well, very explosive. He had one fumble, but caught all six of his uh, targets, had 91 yards through the air, in addition to 23 carries uh, for 103 yards. Uh, Mark Ingram was somewhat involved, but not. Uh, he was clearly not going to be as good as Alvin Kamara. The problem is, is Taysom Hill comes in there and just flaunts his package. And we're all tired of seeing Taysom Hill's package. Uh, three touchdowns uh, rushing, like QB power, QB drive, like literally every single quarterback run design you had with Taysom Hill, then even uh, th throws for a touchdown as well. So he's very involved in the offense. I I'm not sure if that's just because they have Andy Dalton in there and they really want to just mix things up. But Taysom Hill is like a legit thing. And he's listed as a tight end on underdog. He's listed as a tight end. Uh, on the Saints roster, and for the Week 17 bros, this was as clean as it gets. A season-high 31% snap rate for Taysom. And honestly, if you could tell me he's going to get nine carries per week, we can't guarantee that, then you would start him over 25 other tight ends every single week. What is tangible about this, Hayden? Because I feel like we opened the season with Taysom Hill talk in Week 1. Now we get it here. He is listed as a tight end on many platforms slash quarterback on many platforms. Is this actually like a season long relevant thing that should be occupying our brains? Yes, I think so. Uh, it was very effective, very explosive. They get him in, in at the goal line quite frequently. So I, I think it's, I think it's for real. They, they needed uh pass catchers like this week. They had to get somebody on the field, just skill position wise. I know he's not playing wide receiver, but like they just needed, skilled guys on the field after Chris Olave. Uh, so like, yeah, this is like unsustainable, but I think that like Daigle said, like, I think he's a tight end two option and we'll see what happens with Chris Olave next week, Michael Thomas and the rest of them. A lot of people, Josh, for instance, started Tyler Conklin, one target, zero catches. Mo Ali Cox had trending usage behind the scenes, dudded with 27 yards, I think it was. Maybe it was 17. Uh, Dawson Knox out. There, Will Disley even, trending usage out. again. Two catches today. Like, these are the tight ends that we should not be starting and instead taking the egg with Taysom Hill if it were to happen because his ceiling breakout is, like, actually what we're going for every single week. Who cares about the other guys? Since this is the instant reaction show, uh, it's time to give predictions that we are not responsible for. Look. Seattle Seahawks, last three games, 23 points, 48 points, 32 points. Hayden, they face the Arizona Cardinals, then the Chargers, then the Giants, then the Cardinals, then the Bucks. When do we think that this train of one of the highest scoring offenses in the league is going to end? Or is it? Because I don't think Gino, this isn't fluke play from Gino. It's legit real play. And I want us to like reset our opinions of pre- you know, 2022 Geno Smith. And I think Maddie Brown did that a great job of doing that on the channel earlier this week. Yeah. I, I would call it out if he was like scrambling for his life and just sending prayers, but like all the stuff is controlled. And then when it, when he does need to run for a first down, he's even capable of doing that. So yeah, I mean, he's not going to keep up these numbers, but like, is he a legit NFL quarterback right now? Hell yeah. Um, Let's go to the Titans at the commanders. Daigle. Cause this one went down to the wire. 
with the Washington Commanders coming up short by one or two yards against the Tennessee Titans, 21 to 17. Shockingly, still see the Tennessee Titans at three and two. Somehow they just continue to win football games despite putting up very few points. Daigle, how'd this one happen? You asked me what my best game was before we started the show. And then you laughed when I told you I need to talk about Titans commanders first, because what we've seen now is that the Titans have allowed seven 40 yard plays this year, including seven passes of 15 plus yards today against Carson Wentz. Terry McLaurin's first target of the game was midway through the second quarter, resulting in a 25-yard reception. He broke four tackles right after. And then when they came out of the locker room, called a play-action 37-yard shot to him to get him on the board. But overall, the concern is that they once again did not get him involved as Curtis Samuel led this damn team in targets for the fifth consecutive week. Does nothing but continue to do so. He hasn't had a carry in three consecutive weeks now, but he's still getting all the targets, so who cares at all? Meanwhile, Terry McLaurin finishes third on the team and overall targets. So it's still a concern from Carson Wentz because we know now, weeks one and two, he was second and fifth in passing yards in the league those weeks. This week, another soft matchup, 350-plus yards. He's showing he can still get it done for fantasy as a streaming option over the guys we shouldn't be starting, like Aaron Rodgers, like Matthew Stafford, whenever Wentz has a good matchup. But beyond that, talking about film only, you go right back to Wentz saying, okay, the commanders have the ball on the goal line with a few seconds left to end the game. And Wentz, of course, throws a shoddy reception. And it wasn't a forced reception. It was a bad throw because that's who Carson Wentz is. Break this down for me with Carson Wentz. Uh, under duress, when he plants his feet, when he tries to throw it long, bad things happen. How was the Tennessee Titans' pass rush against him in this game? Was that a huge factor, or was it more Carson Wentz hitting deep shots, as we typically saw, and then Carson Wentz making that, bo- making that boneheaded decision at the end to try to force it into J.D. McKissick at the goal line? I would argue it was another roller coaster game where you got Wentz's entire career in 60 minutes. Recall week one against the Jaguars when we saw everything he's ever done in his career, including that dime to Terry McLaurin for the deep touchdown. That was pretty much Diami Brown's first touchdown here, where it was an amazing downfield throw. Diami Brown, who had six total receiving yards, by the way, coming into this week, finished with 105 today, filling in for Jahan Dotson. And oddly enough, uh, Diami Brown was the fourth receiver. Cam Sim was in on three wide sets, but whenever Diami got rotated in, that's when that's when they went deep to him. Overall, he actually finished sixth on the team in routes run, and that's without Do- that's without Dotson and Logan Thomas in this game. So we won't be chasing Diami Brown touchdowns, although they were fun and they provided splash plays here. Again, my overarching view is that we are certainly concerned about Terry McLaurin. Question: Brian Robinson has by far the most carries, nine in comparison to Antonio Gibson's three. What do we do? It's over. Probably it's over for AG. Oh, Gibson played a season low. I believe it was 30%, 31% of the snaps. Uh, his snaps have now in- decreased in every single game this year, leading to today's season low mark. Brian Robinson, as you mentioned, 9 to 12 running back carries. Jaden McKissick, as we still expect him to be, involved in negative game scripts. And again, how often will the commanders be playing in situations against teams like the Titans where they can compete all four quarters? I still question Brian Robinson's usage, though it's very clear he's at least going to overthrow Gibson. Yeah, you can't start any of them until right. one of them is playing 50% snaps. Like, you can't play a 40% snap running back on the freaking commanders. Okay. 
Talk to us about the other side of this because I actually posted Ryan Tannehill's passing chart because when I looked at it just from a pure angle on next-gen stats, it looks like he didn't complete a single pass over nine yards. But that's because, Daigle, he threw one 60 yards to Nick Westbrook-Akine that does not show up on the charting. So it truly was... Watch the games, Josh, for Every single life. completion <laughs> below nine yards and then a deep shot to NWI. And that's all she wrote for Ryan Tannehill's performance. It literally accounted for nearly 50% of his passing yards. That one <laughs> downfield throw he took. And honestly, this may be what we're battling without Traylon Burks. Question him as a prospect, and rightfully so all you want, but at least he had juice. At least he provided explosiveness. Whereas Robert Woods still isn't getting the job done. Even in leading the team in targets today, it just wasn't enough receiving yards for him because they need more explosiveness. So you saw Derrick Henry getting 28 touches. I believe it was 28 he finished with. Uh, maybe it was 30 overall. Um, but while you look that up really quick, what we saw from Dontre Hilliard, the receiving touchdown he had, kind of fluky, even though he was slightly involved on third downs. What it was actually was that Derrick Henry took a first quarter screen, 20 plus yards, came off the field for a breather. The very next play, Hilliard's in because he's relieving Henry, and then Hilliard gets the reception touchdown. So a circumstance to be aware of, but also note that Derrick Henry ran his fewest routes since week two in this game. 10 routes on 33 of the team's drop back. So the actual behind-the-scenes usage did not stick in this one. The two targets, although one of them came in the first quarter, amazing, but it wasn't what we saw the past two weeks. So a little bit of cold water on the ceiling we thought he had. Yeah, I definitely wanted to ask that question because we love the six and five targets that we were getting from Derrick Henry. Some of it was in phase, some of it was screens. And if that goes away, then you kind of have to have these 28 carries, 102 yards and two score games. But you got one of those, you know. So my big point about the Titans, I mean, they started 0-2 and just abs looked absolutely abysmal, right? 27 points combined in those three in those two games. Then they go on a three-game winning streak, winning one score games because that's what Mike Vrabel does including against the Colts. They get the Colts again next week, then the Texans after that. We could seriously be looking at the 5-2 and two Tennessee Titans, who are shockingly good at their record, just like they were last season. It's weird how this always happens with Tennessee. Fast forward to the wild card. Let's just get it over with. <laughs> no, I can't do it. And can't do it again. Okay, next up. Dolphins at the Jets. This game was over after the second play. Because the New York Jets win 42-17. By that, I mean... Sauce Gardner blitzes off the edge, hits Teddy Bridgewater, which kind of weirdly referees call an intentional grounding. So it's a safety. Teddy passes concussion protocol, but the spotter up in the box said that he was stumbling. So he was ruled out for the rest of the game. That means Skylar Thompson comes in for the second series. And at the same exact time, they lost left tackle Teron Armstead with a toe injury, which seems like a pretty big deal moving forward for the Miami Dolphins. So what that means is you get Tyreek Hill for seven targets, seven receptions for 47 yards. That means you get Jalen Waddle three receptions for 23 yards. And to quickly focus on the Dolphins before we move on to the real positives of the Jets, that's super concerning to me because the game plan was thrown out the window when Skylar Thompson was put in the game and things had to be manufactured. They only had like one really downfield throw. And when Mike McDaniel needs things manufactured because of offenses struggling, uh, Tyreek Hill gets seven touches in the first half to Jalen Waddle's one. You know, Jalen Waddle's an awesome, spectacular football player who does some really exciting stuff with his hands, or with his feet, I should say, with the ball in his hands. Um, but when 
This team needs something. Tyreek Hill is that player at wide receiver. And maybe most importantly here, it was Raheem Mostert on the ground with 18 carries for 113 yards and a score in comparison to literally Chase Edmonds' one carry. One carry for Chase Edmonds and zero receptions on two targets. Raheem Mostert looks exciting. He looks electric. He is still destroying defensive backs' angles. So for as long as we get Raheem Mostert, as a healthy player in this offense, he is by far and away their best runner. And this was far and away the Dolphins' best rushing game of the season. Last week, he had 13.6 expected half PPR points, was running laps around Chase Edmonds today, 69% of the snaps. Even uh, Miles Gaskin had more snaps than Chase Edmonds, who I think is basically droppable in in like the 10-team leagues. Raheem Mostert, I'll be ranking as like a RB2-3 next week, perhaps even a little higher than that. The injuries. Teron Armstead, that was a setback with this toe. His, he had a he was on the injury report all week with that toe injury. Jalen Waddle uh, had a groin coming into the game, and then Tyreek Hill leaves uh, the stadium in a boot. They say it's precautionary, but it was a foot injury. He was on the, the injury report before that, and he uh, looking at it right now. Tyreek Hill only ran around on twenty two percent, twenty two of thirty seven dropbacks. Um, so. Very banged up, very tiny team. All of a sudden, getting very banged up in the NFL. You're muted, Daigle. That's the first. It was one. still it was still a five point game late in the second half, too. That tells you a lot, I think, about the Jets more than people want to admit. But yes, Ooh. the the injuries caught up quite a bit. One final point here, and again, it, it shows who Raheem Mostert still is, despite the contract that they gave Chase, Chase Edmonds. And we kept pointing this out going into this game, Hayden, where Chase Edmonds was. From advanced metrics, the worst runner in the NFL on a, a per carry basis in terms of hitting expectation, the yards he should gain on those runs. Here you can see Raheem Mostert uh, detached on the left side of the offensive line. He takes a jet sweep and look at these safeties, linebacker angles. He just outruns them straight to the corner. Like he still has it. It's crazy. It's he so still good. has the juice. Yeah, it's amazing. But he 100% does. Okay. Also, as you mentioned, Josh. For Chase Edmonds to get one touch in a game that still at the end was a blowout, 40-17, to 17, like that tells you everything you need to know that Chase Edmonds find a roster like Kenneth Walker, right? Like a stash you can never use unless the starter gets injured. You can luck into that situation, sure. But until then, you just can't. There's no reason to roster Edmonds in shallower leagues. And Herzig asked me this question on Twitter where it's pretty clear that Raheem Mostert is the better runner but isn't Chase Edmonds the better pass catcher? I would argue being the pass catcher doesn't matter on this team because so many targets can be funneled to the wide receivers that it's not like other teams where on checkdowns or games when they're behind that they need to funnel them to the running back in certain situations. They're not going to do that. Like they're getting the ball into Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle's hands. They also use like all those crazy personnel and formations and stuff. And he's been playing the two minute drill because they, they'll keep the fullback in and spread him out, but they keep Raheem Mostert in there just for the threats to run the ball, even in some of these passing situations. So it's been multiple weeks now where Raheem Mostert has been playing over Chase Edmonds in the two-minute drill. That tells you all you need to know. Jets time. First, big play by Brees Hall along the left sideline. Uh, we talked about this at length last week. Gosh, I wish this game, this play was on. Um, Wish it was on for dots, but it's not. Anyways, we talked about last week where Brees Hall and Michael Carter were both lined up in the backfield at the same exact time, kind of on either side of Zach Wilson and shotgun. Typically, that would be with Michael Carter as like the fullback in those situations. And then Brees Hall getting the, the ball and, you know, 
then Carter blocking for him here. We saw it off play action where Brees Hall, no one tracked him because they didn't throw this play at all last week. And they see him for 20, 30 yards down the left sideline. It goes for 79 yards down the sideline, get to the one yard line. Both backs stay on the field. Michael Carter gets the goal line run. This happened the exact same way later on down to the one yard line after a big Brees Hall run. Both backs are on the field. Michael Carter gets it at the one-yard line. Granted, Michael Carter uh, had two scores. Brees Hall did get one later on in the game, but it's a situation where both back get, backs get home. However, Brees Hall does all of the damage to the tune of two catches for 100 yards, 18 carries for 97 yards in a score. I will be honest. I had reservations stemming from his time at Iowa State to his time this preseason with his vision between the tackles and what he's doing now is really hesitating behind the line of scrimmage. And it's working with this jets offensive line where how they've having to continue to shuffle it. And it was fantastic today. And he's, you know, buying himself time, finding the creases and exploding right through it. Brees Hall is an electric football player right now. His usage is up like way, 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 way up the last couple of weeks versus to open the season. It was also a season high, 69% of snaps he played for them today. So the role continues to grow. Uh, Zach Wilson did what Zach Wilson was asked. I absolutely love it when he asked to throw this like 17-yard comeback or 20-yard out pattern uh, along the right sideline. It is so beautiful in phase, and it's absolutely his best throw. It can be to Elijah Moore like it was last weekend. It could be to Corey Davis this week. Garrett Wilson continues to make plays. I don't want to rain on the Zach Wilson parade. However, this show is about trying to react to what could be potentially happening and what defenses might key on to. Maybe I'm digging a bit too hard here, but only about 15% of his throws this season have traveled to the left side of the field. It was only about 25% last year. So as you can see, everything is being thrown to the right side for him, either on the rollouts or in the structure of the offense. And so it's just something that I will be monitoring moving forward. But this was a, a pure, complete team win for the Jets with Sauce Gardner also getting his first interception in this game. Elijah Moore must be running most of his routes on the left side of the ball or left side of the field because <laughs> they can't get him the ball at all right now. It, this is just a situation where Braxton Berries isn't playing that much, but he's playing just enough in an offense that passes the ball just not enough. And all three of these uh, wide receivers are good enough where it's going to be very difficult to have any of these guys be bankable. I, I would think they're like on the flex radar, but I don't think you have to be playing any of these guys. The volume like this, obviously the Jets aren't going to be winning by this many scores every week, but I can see a lot of weeks where it's five reception or five targets, six targets, seven targets, and we don't know which one is going to lead. I do want to say there were moments in this game like where the Jets could have been the old Jets in that like, it was 19 to 17, tight game, fourth and two. At that time, Brees Hall was averaging 5.2 yards per carry. Uh, they like to drop it back, and Zach Wilson tries to throw a 20-yard back shoulder to Corey Davis on the left sideline, and that goes incomplete. The next drive, they get to a third and 25. But then after that, they just dominated, man. They just they just totally dominated, some due to defense, some due to Brees Hall, and after that. And so you kind of understand it. If you have two talents like Brees Hall and Michael Carr in the back with the offensive line gelling like this at the moment, uh, why you're leaning on them rather than, you know, continually trying to put the ball in Zach Wilson's hands. So and remember every single time there's two running backs on the field, that means that there's one less wide receiver on the field. So lots of formation stuff going on with the jets. I'm, it's just, it's just very hard. 
It was only by a couple, but I will note just in case it seems to matter that today was the first time that Corey Davis ran more routes than Elijah Moore all season as well. Uh, let's go to the Chargers at the Browns. Chargers beating the Browns 32-28. Hayden Winks, high-scoring game when these two teams played last season, high-scoring game here with the Chargers winning both. It's just great matchups for both sides. Uh, starting with the Browns first, the Chargers still, I mean, Nick Chubb looks incredible. Uh, another 134 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Derwin James has missed some tackles. Their linebackers for the Chargers are just still so bad um, where they're going to continue to get ran through. Kareem Hunt also scores a touchdown. Um, through the air, there's a couple of splash plays from David Njoku, who goes catches all six of his targets for 88 yards. A lot of downfield stuff for David Njoku. And that's the difference between him versus all the other types, the the Dalton Schultz and that whole tier is he can win downfield, create some big plays. He had one here. Uh, Amari Cooper went at JC Jackson for a lot of the day. I thought held up very well. His touchdown uh, just really snapped JC Jackson in, in the end zone on like a little bit like a whip route. Uh, so all, all around impressive day for the Browns offense did not get a win here just because Justin Herbert was able to do just enough. Okay. Let's talk about this idea mindset of the Browns. This is back-to-back games where they've just gotten run through like their cheesecloth on the ground. The Atlanta Falcons last week, this week by Austin Eckler, who all his early season struggles are absolutely in the rear view mirror when he goes 16 for 173. Even Joshua Kelly gets a score on the ground. Uh, I lined up like all the reasons. Like they're a team that loves you know, upfield defensive tackles, that means they're light at defensive tackle. Their linebackers aren't good. And then the fan base is already calling for Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator, to be replaced. Um, for a team that is playing above and over their skis offensively, you can't have these defensive mistakes or this defense playing the way it is in order for them to have success right now, especially when you consider how much has been invested on the defensive side of the ball. It was super frustrating is the Chargers are still pretty one dimensional as an offense. There wasn't that many vertical shots. So it's not like the Chargers were like having a groundbreaking offense here. Austin Eckler was just rushing, running through tackles, ran through a face mask for a score. All of his touchdowns this year have come from 10 yards or further out. Uh, Joshua Kelly, uh, just as a side note for the deep sicko leagues out there. I think Joshua Kelly is completely supplanted Sony Michelle. Joshua Kelly would be like a deep uh, add um, just as Austin Eckler's replacement. I think he's going to give some more goal line work, Uh, but yeah, through the air, uh, Josh Palmer had a slow day. He had a full practice on Friday. So I think it was just a bad day for him. Um, But that's because Mike Williams was earning all those targets. uh, 13 of them catches it 10 for 134. nearly scored a touchdown. The heel clicked right outside mossing people. No one is catching balls over defenders. Uh, more than Mike Williams this year. He's been a total baller. We'll also say that David Njoku continues to stand out. We still have primetime games pending, but right now the tight end three on the week. I was here already coming into the week, but I will say when Kyle Pitts returns next week, you were starting David Njoku over Kyle Pitts every single week. I'm amazed at how good of a route runner Amari Cooper still is. Like maybe I shouldn't be because he's only like what 28 or 29, but he was just so forgotten about this summer when all the free agent wide receivers are getting paid and they have such a deal on their hands. And JC Jackson, for how much they're paying him, is such a liability out there because it looked like whenever I turned this game on that Amari Cooper was putting him in a blender on those multiple breaking routes every single time down the field. 
He's been good. Jacoby Brissett, I thought looked all right here. Just to uh, just because the other podcasts will mention it, the Chargers very aggressive uh, way to end this game. It was fourth and one, fourth and two at their own forty-six yard line, up two with just a minute left in the game. They go for it on fourth down, a pass intended for Mike Williams. It gets uh, batted down. The Browns have an opportunity to win this game. They miss a fifty-four yard kick. The analytics said it was a good decision. Uh, you can debate that the Chargers don't have the offense for short yardage, um, but Brandon Staley back to being aggressive. And I think for fantasy purposes, that's good news for everybody. Before you all get out of here, watch Sunday Night Football, or if you're tuning in later, it's your first time on the channel, be sure to hit subscribe, hit that thumbs up button. We have waiver stuff for you on Monday evenings, stats versus film on Tuesdays, which get ahead of all these breakouts that you see on Sundays and also content for you on Thursdays and Fridays as well. Again, if you like the program, Leave a thumbs up and most importantly, subscribe to the channel. Falcons at Bucks, Daigle, a close one on the scoreboard, 21 to 15. This isn't exactly the fireworks show that I was expecting to see from Tom Brady, despite throwing for 52 times in this game. You wouldn't think it would be close either because the Bucks had 17 first down and 300 yards of offense at the half, whereas the Falcons only had 89 yards of offense. That's why they trailed 13-0. Uh, just left it short on the scoreboard, though, more than anything. Even they had a series in the second quarter the Bucks did where they went 14 yards to Russell Gage, 7 to Kate Otten, 12 to Scotty Miller, 12 more yards to Rashad White, and then 18 yards to Chris Godwin on five consecutive plays. Like All they did was churn yards here. But yes, it did come down to essentially the final drive and you will hear the Falcons fans upset and rightfully so because Grady Jarrett was flagged for defensive pass interference for a late hit, essentially roughing the passer. And when you go back and watch the clip, it was not roughing the passer at all. It was, it was Tom Brady. The passer is why he got the call. And that's the only reason why. And the Falcons literally lost because of that reason. Yeah. Referee Jerome Boger said afterwards, quote, the defender grabbed the quarterback while he was still in the pocket and unnecessarily threw him to the ground. I would argue that throwing the quarterback to the ground in the pocket is very necessary in order to achieve a sack. Granted, I'm sure Bucks fans will say, well, there should have been a pass interference penalty on the play before against Scotty Miller, yada, 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 whatever you want to say. This is maybe the worst roughing the passer penalty of the season. I got to stop you guys. You guys will watch the Jacoby Brissett one that set up a Nick. Ch Ch it, I've watched both. The Jacoby Brissett roughing the passer was worse. It just wasn't on primetime. Uh, okay. We don't need more of that, but let's, let's talk more about um, this Bucks offense, Daigle, because again, 52 passing hits for Tom Brady. This is more of what we saw last week and su such a departure than what we saw for the first three weeks that I think, People in their models or the spreadsheets, I don't even know how to term these things, Hayden, uh, need to eliminate truly the first three weeks of the season when projecting Tom Brady for the next three weeks, or the next six weeks, because this this offense has like totally turned a corner in who their identity is. Yeah, when they have Chris Godwin, they decided to throw the ball. Dago is just framing it to you. Leonard Fournette, my, uh, my take is when the Buccaneers do go pass heavy, that's better for Leonard Fournette because one, he's going to be catching passes and two, they're going to be scoring more points and it'll just luck in to some touchdowns you think that's accurate or no i do think it's accurate rashad white everyone wants to keep happening but if they are flexing rashad white they have a terrible fantasy team 
Uh, you can want things to happen, but understand what the situation is giving you right now. And right now, Leonard Fournette has handled 75% of the team's backfield touches and every game except last week's blowout against the Chiefs when White didn't record his first touch until they were down 21-3. to Fournette also has at least six targets in three consecutive games and led the Bucs in targets today. Why do you want White to happen when Leonard Fournette is doing nothing but delivering fantasy points at an elite rate? Who cares about Rashad White? So no, you can stash Rashad White, but Leonard Fournette is the back to roster and continuously so. What about the Falcons end? When starters go down for four weeks, you get amped for the likes of Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley. They did nothing. 45 yards for Tyler Algier on 13 carries, 34 yards for Caleb Huntley. And then, I don't know if we already talked about this, Drake London playing such a few amount of snaps, doing absolutely nothing despite you know, only losing by six points here on seven targets, four receptions, and 35 yards. Marcus Mariota, another poor performance as well. The running backs, touches, snaps, essentially all split in a three-way committee, as you mentioned, including Avery Williams, who did get the touchdown here. Tyler Algier did lead all three in routes run, as we expected, with 20 to Avery Williams' eight. But it's still just not enough for a low-volume, low-scoring offense that splits carries among three players. Do we have any reason why Drake London didn't play that much? I know that he had like some knee injury after the game, but was that was it this before that or, or was this just like just the injury? I'm confused. I believe he was nicked up during the game, but he actually didn't go to the tent at any point. That's why it was such an odd situation. But anyone stepping in for him, your Olamide Zacchaeus, your Brian Edwards, uh, Kadero Hodge, like anyone stepping in for him, you're not going to play in fantasy anyway. So it actually just takes more talent off the field for this team. Eagles 20, Arizona Cardinals 17 on a failed game-tying field goal in the closing seconds. Um, I don't want to start at the end, even though it was so weird of what happened with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, because I think it so encapsulates the current status of this Arizona Cardinals organization, and instead want to start at the top with the Philadelphia Eagles. On their first drive, it's 11 plays, 64 yards. Uh then they have a punt, and then they go 16 plays and 87 yards. So they have 14 first-half points and then very little at the end of it, mainly due to how great the Cardinals' second-half defense was. I mean, their defensive backs were flying around the field. They were tackling extremely hard. And so, in turn, to then go back up on the scoreboard and get a 20-17 to 17 lead, once again, the Philadelphia Eagles go back to what they did last week and run the ball 12 of 15 plays on their final drive, basically getting back to exactly who they can be and just smash mouth football. For one, Dallas Goddard had a incredible third and 11 conversion to outrun those linebackers and safeties on the Cardinals roster to let that drive continue down. But this again points to Jalen Hurts records his sixth rushing touchdown this season after two more in this game, has a very complete performance of 26 of 36 for 239 in the air, 61 yards in the ground. My favorite throw of his was when he was flushed out to the left of the pocket, climbs up, resets himself, is poised, composed, something he absolutely would not have done last season, and then hits Devontae Smith for a first down. Um, but this just shows again, how balanced this offense can be. If they stumble after those first two opening touchdown series, 
if they stall out, they can then lean on the running game of Miles Sanders, of Kenneth Gainwell, of Jalen Hurts to then go on and grab victory from a really competitive Arizona Cardinals team in this game. Just looking at the box score, it's nice where Kenny Gainwell only gets three touches. It's not really a committee uh, in the backfield. And then outside of our AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard combined 27 of the targets. So it's just, it's at least condensed. Um, yeah, they look very good. Yeah, 21 of 26 targets went to those three guys. I know people are going to be disappointed in A.J. Brown. Seven targets, three receptions for 32 yards when you look at, you know, 87 yards for Devontae on 10 receptions, 95 yards on Dallas Goddard, who arguably was the best player in this game. I think that just happens. And A.J. Brown just wasn't as good as the other two were today. And I, that's going I, to happen when, when you have, you know, just better players. Uh, or a roster full of good players, I think is the better way of saying that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe all of A.J. Brown's catches came on the first drive too, yeah. right? Yep. That's insane. Yep, very early on. I uh, also want to give credit to the Arizona Cardinals end of this, and namely Marquise Brown. This is just an eye test situation, and I know on the stat sheet it just says eight receptions for 78 yards and a touchdown, but he is playing so much bigger this season than he ever has in the past. You can go back to the Rams game this year where it was against Jalen Ramsey and the other cornerbacks. He was making catches along the sideline. He had a 25-yard touchdown here where he went over the middle of the field against a linebacker 57, against Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, coming up to make a hit, stays up, wins after the catch, and creates, I think, his first touchdown of the season. Um, Marquise Brown is playing at a really, really high level. Let's not focus on the 78 yard touchdown that he might've dropped here on a slant with a complete open field. Um, just credit to him for elevating his game in a way that I don't think was really possible heading into the season after how frail he looked at times with the Baltimore Ravens coming into the game. He was the wide receiver nine per my model and usage. So that'll go up even higher than that until new Hopkins gets back. He's a borderline wide receiver one. Uh, in the third or second quarter, James Conner, right before the end for halftime, this is it, right before halftime, James Conner left with a ribs injury. Then Darrell Williams left with, I believe, a foot injury. So that meant, you know, Benjamin carried it the rest of the way. Uh, that allowed him to have that 11-yard touchdown run there. Uh, early Cliff Kingsbury returns on Rondale Moore were not good to the tune of there was a second and five. They sent him on a reverse that lost four yards to set up a third and nine. They just wouldn't use him as a traditional wide receiver early on. He did work back into the slot. Good point, Hayden, with A.J. Green working on the outside. And they did get him a bit more involved down the field. Um, look, Kyler opened this game with a deep post into double coverage that Chauncey Gartner-Johnson as a deep safety picked off. Brutal interception early on, but closed it despite, again, the Arizona Cardinals not having in their fifth straight game a first quarter touchdown a first quarter touchdown five straight games here uh closing it with an opportunity for this team to not only tie the game but take the lead about 110 seconds left uh they have no timeouts they have to go about 80 yards 75 yards and second down and 10 he scrambles slides to turn it into a third and one he just doesn't have the same uh, let's say positional awareness or time clock awareness. And so rather than taking another play with about 30 seconds left to convert that third and one or give you another chance on fourth and one, he spikes the ball, 
to make it a 47 or 43 yard field goal where they backup kicker, Matt Amendola, then has to trot in with about 24 seconds left to attempt and he hits it wide left. So like no timeouts is bad from the coaching staff. Uh, but also like Kyler's situational awareness at the moment, again, I think is just a really poetic way to describe this team at two and three and, and how we currently view the Arizona Cardinals in relation to some of their other peers. In this game, no Rodney Hudson. They've had guards uh, on the injury report as well. So it's, they're playing kind of with like one hand tied behind their back. Some of it for uh, no fault of their own. Some of it because of themselves. I still wonder how much really improves when DeAndre Hopkins. Yes, they'll improve, but is that really the key? Like, is that what's going on? Because they're still last in the league in motion as well. They become a slower paced offense. Like, I, th I think a lot more is to blame for pay play calling more than anything. It's just, it's frustrating when you see it as, as a second half team versus the first half, because again, they, they allow Kyler the space and then the scrambling happens when you get him to 42 yards here. And James Conner actually looked good when out in the field. Hopefully he is healthy. Um, but those, those first quarters tank this team, you know, first half again, 14 points to the Eagles, including that, you know, opening touchdown drive. And then we just literally cannot score points in the first quarter. You're constantly driving out of a hole. And that's what the Cardinals have been all season. They've won games despite that, but they are constantly digging themselves uh, out of a hole. And my biggest question when DeAndre Hopkins goes back, I'm going to say every single one of these shows, Daigle, is where does Marquise Brown play after that? You know, if DeAndre Hopkins comes back and plays on that left sideline, that left wide receiver, like we have seen him do for the last four years, does that mean Marquise Brown is now going to be the right wide receiver? Or is he going to play in the slot and bump Rondell Moore out of the lineup? Like, it's just a question once we hit, you know, game seven of this season. I mean, he's averaging just over 10 targets, so he's going to be on the field. We know that. But yeah, where he plays, I have no idea. Also, for those curious, because I know they have questions on a Sunday night, I can tell you Kenneth Walker will be ranked over Eno Benjamin among waiver pickup running backs, just to let you know. Oh, yeah. They play different sports. <laughs> Very true. Just, just to answer your question, I think it would be the 20... 20 Christian Kirk role for Marquise Brown, where he's like a vertical role from the outside, mix him into the slot on occasion. Not my favorite, but that's, that's how you get all three of them on the field, at least. Hayden, talk to me about the Cowboys at the Rams. Um, the Rams are just spiraling. Only 10 points here to the 22 that the Dallas Cowboys put on the board. They were five-point favorites, LA was, heading into this game. It shocked us. We had no clue why it would happen when you consider defensive matchup against the Rams offense and it opened with a defensive touchdown on the Cowboys end too. I have a lot of respect for the betting markets. What the, I mean, what the hell was this? Why were the Rams projected for this many points all before the show? I asked Daigle if he had an answer and he was like, no, I believe the same thing. And like we all predicted, the I Rams felt like a fish. Yeah. Me too. So I was like, yeah. what am I missing? Uh, it turns out nothing. We weren't missing anything. <laughs> turns out when you're looking at this stuff, 24 seven, you have a somewhat of a clue here. The offensive line for the Rams is, turning into a, a disaster it's not bad it's, it's you can't even run a functional offense here they had uh, a couple injuries on the offensive line this time micah parsons was wrecking havoc despite playing on like maybe one and a half groins and it just didn't really matter the offense two groins right it's on both sides I don't oh know, i thought you meant one. like the groin not the groin no. muscle no like two <laughs> two sides of the groin he he had, he had a groin issue uh nevertheless what happens for the He's rams got those is, tony groins <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they will list groin and groin in uh, on the official depth chart. Anyways, passing game as expected. Cooper Cup catches a 75-yard touchdown. The dude ran a 4.64 at the combine. He runs a, a 
four six now. Like there's no question about it. There's plenty of juice as expected. Tyler Higby has 10 targets, seven for 46, not efficient on them, but has elite tight end one volume. Allen Robinson. I don't even have to bring up his box score. What happens at running back? I thought was pretty interesting. Cam Akers uh, is the only running back to run the ball in this game. They made him the workhorse early, missed a couple holes. I thought, very, very poor vision. Again, nothing's clicking. He's not ripping off big runs at all. Later in the game, Daryl Henderson gets more involved, but only in the box score via the air for uh, four catches on five targets. I think eventually they have to go back to Henderson, but even Henderson's making some mistakes. It's just not, they just don't have enough talent. Like it's, it's, we're back to that point. And Matthew Stafford's a good quarterback, but he's more of a, a he's a great quarterback when everything around him is good. When things are not great around him, he's kind of average, and that's that's where we're at. My concern also that no one talks about, it's like the Jets receivers. When are you going to get them right? You're just starting and praying is all you're doing. So for Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, we can talk about the usage all we want. When are you ever going to get them right? We've now seen a dosey do for five consecutive weeks. We never get it correct. They don't know how they're going to use them when they enter the game. So I just don't care. This has literally flipped since week one, right? Like Daryl Henderson yes. was in this exact same role where K-Makers barely touched the field. And now we get K-Makers in that role and neither of them are good here. You know, like I think Greg Olson was pointing out how K-Makers vision was mm-hmm. awful today yeah, on the broadcast. It was. it was. And just looking at the Rams this year, uh, they scored 10 points against the Bills, 20 points against the Cardinals, nine points, 10 points the last games. They hung 31 points on the Falcons. Outside of that, they've it's 20 points or less. So like... They're splitting time, and it's not a good offense. So Matthew Stafford, you can't start. Tyler Higby and Cooper Cup are the only one getting the ball, and you'll keep starting them. Everyone else is – your team is effed if you're starting any of them. Averaging four and a half fantasy points per game now on underdog. I treat Allen Robinson moving forward as I treat Eno Benjamins, as I treat Rashad Whites, where you literally cannot start them at any point unless the player ahead of them gets injured. Allen Robinson is just Cooper Cup insurance anymore for the rest of the year. We outlined it heading into this game. Even their play caller, their OC, said, hey, all of our plays are Cooper Cup being the first read. And if he's on the front side, Tyler Higby's right next to him. Basically, we don't have the protection to get our backside. We have to start creating and building plays in order to get Allen Robinson the ball because our offensive line cannot hold up to get him the ball on these backside concepts now. It's really that simple. That's why Higby is second on the team in targets because exactly. he's, th- he's a three-yard depth of target. Stafford leads the league in pressure rate un- and completion rate under pressure because they are dump-offs to Higby. That's what this offense is. It's broken. But there is no scheming up Allen Robinson either. He's not like a manufactured touch type of wide receiver. Like He was just like dominant like over the middle in the red zone. Like That's where he he thrives he's not like get him a couple screens going that's just like never been where he's won talk to me about the cowboys because offensively it was 163 yards rushing you mentioned the huge tony pollard play of 57 yards where he made literally the entire rams defense miss just broken tackle after broken tackle and then at the wide receiver group we've had some consistency from noah brown Maybe it just wasn't necessary here because there were only 10 receptions in total because the defense was just so dominant, along with the special teams, I should add. Yeah, the Cowboys offense wasn't playing very consistently. They had the big run, but outside of that, they basically had not a whole lot. Uh, Michael Gallup had a sweet play on the sideline, which uh, makes me pretty encouraged for his like long-term potential. I think that just 
Cooper rushes, he's winning ball games. He's not very good still, in my opinion. So this offense is going to be pretty limited until Dak Prescott. It seems like Dak Prescott's probably like two weeks away, maybe three weeks away. Uh, I don't think he'll play next week based off, based off what they were saying on the broadcast. Uh, Tony Pollard has that huge touchdown run. Uh, clearly, he's more explosive. At the same time, absolutely uh, gets Cooper Rush wrecked in pass protection. So that's why Zeke Elliott, as lame as it is, is going to be out there. And I don't see this backfield changing all that much just because what Zeke's good at is the exact opposite of what Tony Pollard's good Paul- at. Pollard had six more yards than Zeke on 14 fewer carries. And more importantly, nothing will change from it. Dago, it was your turn to bite the Baker Mayfield bullet. The last bullet that we'll ever have to do. I have a proposal for the fans and us on this show that we should have talked about before. And that is we no longer claim Panthers games because we know what happens. We can simulate them one time and get them correct every week. The thing here is... Baker Mayfield left a locker room in a walking boot. So we're now going back to PJ Walker, who is worse than Baker Mayfield. So again, we don't need to talk about the Panthers moving forward. There's no point. 49ers 37, Carolina Panthers 15. And dare I say a 22 point gap is a bit too much respect to actually how the Carolina Panthers played here. It was a dominant performance. Let's okay. If we want to throw the Panthers conversation away after that, Awful Baker Mayfield double clutch interception, which was oh, one of the more brutal plays terrible. you'll see all season yeah. long. Um, Chris McCaffrey, strong contest in terms of 21 touches for 104 yards and a score. Let's instead, Daigle, focus on the 49ers and the positives here because the Panthers can be frisky defensively despite missing Xavier Woods and Frankie Louvu here. I actually thought that this was a really good Jimmy Garoppolo game despite it being 18 of 30, 253 and two scores like he was hitting some fire throws over the middle and on the outside and they lost jc horn pretty early in the game like in the second quarter i believe uh it sounded like a serious injury too i don't have an update on that but i i also think that helped out the panthers offense overall or i'm sorry the 49ers over offense overall the real takeaway for me though is that Prior to this game, in the past two weeks, Jeff Wilson had only seeded one running back carry to the rest of the backfield. They just didn't use anyone. Tevin Coleman was active last week. Marlon Mack, healthy scratched in week five. Jordan Mason after for special teams. Whatever. Still Jeff Wilson's backfield. But even through the first three quarters, Jeff Wilson had only outcarried Tevin Coleman 12-4. to And more importantly, Tevin Coleman was concertedly schemed targets in the passing game for whatever reason. He was in on the five-yard line for his first receiving score on the 49ers' first drive. He got a deep 20-plus-yard target in this game, lined out wide. Like, they're actually involving him, probably because he's previous friends with Shanahan, in the offense. And since Jeff Wilson was never used in the passing game and relies on rushing touchdowns, any amount of backfield touches, including 25%, takes away from Wilson's outlook. So I, I'm, I'm worried about Wilson as a borderline, like, touch-based RB1, I think moving forward, he probably is low-end RB2, which these streets are bleak. I understand we're probably starting him every week, but any amount of touches being taken away from him, like today, is a bad sign. Tevin Coleman had juice. As someone who's have watched juice. way too many Panthers games, Tevin Coleman always torches the Panthers. Always. Like, this should have been the random 21st player I threw out there on Friday, Hayden, even though he barely played last week. Uh, Tevin Coleman had a lot of juice, and mossed Miles Hartsfield down the field on a awesome throw by Jimmy Garoppolo under duress as being driven down to the floor. 
and caught it along the sideline. I was shocked to see Tevin Coleman look this good. We had Schefter two weeks ago say that like Tevin Coleman's going to get involved. So yeah, who knows what's going to happen in the backfield later on. Uh, I can't wait to show like the chart, like the game, the game flow chart to see when he was being mixed in. If it was like early on the game or late in the game, looking at the box score, nine targets for Debo, two receptions. Like how is that even possible? He didn't have his first touch until the two minute warning in the second quarter. Uh, he then he came off the field. I think it was because of a hard hit, but he was rubbing and hanging his arm. I don't know if he was playing with a little bit of a shoulder injury this game, but whatever the case, that's what happened. And really, they didn't need him involved too heavily beyond that. George Kittle also popped up a little bit here, but the ceiling is still very much lacking. My favorite stat from this game is actually how bad the Panthers are, Josh. Oh, yeah, uh, because awesome. now. They have lost 16 consecutive games when allowing 24 points, which isn't even a lot for a professional football game in the aughts, right? Like, that should not be a thing. And then more importantly, are 1-27 under Matt Rule when allowing 17 points. That is absurd. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about the game a little bit later on, but when you see the New York Giants and the Green Bay Packers, in fact, let's just jump to that game now, right? Like, when you see the coaching job that... Brian Dayball is doing to bring the New York Giants to four and one 27 points against the Green Bay Packers who scored 22 with Daniel Jones as a beat up quarterback as truly no wide receivers when you roll out there with Marcus Johnson and David Sills as your starting wide receivers when you have a new defensive coordinator in Wink Martindale who's coached for a very long time but coaching a completely new defensive staff it's not only elevating the players Daigle with Mike Kafka as a play caller, but it's also understanding where those players succeed and using them to those strengths and not asking them to do too much in order to win these close games. Like, I feel like that is all coaching, right? Is in these one score games, which most of the NFL comes down to, if you don't make mistakes, if you do set your team up for moments of brilliance, like these rollouts that we see from Daniel Jones over and over and over again, and only asking to throw it, you know, 27 times, but completing 21 of them, you have a chance. And Brian Dayball through five games is giving his team a chance in nearly every single game. And the funniest part is you can't start anyone but Saquon Barkley. No, <laughs> no one else matters for fantasy whatsoever, but Barkley as a co-quarterback now the past two weeks, getting weekly concerted wildcat carries. He is the only player that matters, but man, are they fun. Good for that. That's why I'm not dropping Kadarius Tony. If you can throw him in your <laughs> IR true. spot, if you can, I'm telling you, the offense is, is functional with nobody's. There's a chance. I we at least know because we saw it in Week One. We know that Wanda Robinson will play in two wide sets when he's back. So that's still my pick over Kadarius Tony. I don't know what happens with Tony. You do your own thing. I don't care. I don't even have a correct opinion on it. But just be be careful. And this isn't necessarily fair of me to even look to 2023 for the New York Giants because, I mean, on their schedule, they still have the Houston Texans. They still have the Seattle Seahawks. They still have the Detroit Lions. They still get the Commanders twice. They still get the Colts. Like a wild card possibility is, is there in their path. And the only game they lost this year was a seven-point loss to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but really my my friend, Brian Dayball, uh, I get excited because I know in 2023, Hayden, he's going to reshuffle everything, probably not name Saquon Barkley and then Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas and come out with something totally different next year that is probably going to work and set his team up for success. But it's so cool that we have seen a different offense 
from Brian Dayball, Alabama, a very different one than he had with the Buffalo Bills, and now a very different one with the New York Giants. And literally every single one has had success. Every single one. The third in cap space next year. I mean, it's going to be like NFL. It's going to be like Madden, NFL head coach, where you can just like pay up for whoever you want and bring in players to like play the way you truly want to. And this is why it runs so hollow when you hear Matt Rule said it takes Jay-Z to seven years to become an overnight sensation. Like just go and play the strengths of your players and like win games. Like I don't need all these excuses, you know? Don't good need them. Be because when you when you go through Joe Judge for a couple of years, you deserve whatever you get and good for them. Okay, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers on the other side because Hayden, I think this is really important. We talked about downfield passing. Look at all these slip screens. Look at all these screens and RPOs. Once again, there's what of his 39 pass attempts, probably 23 of them were within three yards of the line of scrimmage. This is against a Giants defense that I'm excited to see if, how much they blitzed or what the deep covers they played. But in some ways, it looks like Aaron Rodgers is back to playing scared on some level or like playing limited, which I thought we departed that mindset from him last week when he saw them testing vertically out of all the passing charge. I think Aaron Rodgers is the one that probably lies to us the most. Cause he's, I think he's the best RPO thrower in the game. Like the way he can like create torque on that stuff. And a lot of these passes are RPO stuff. So I, I haven't watched this game. So I'm just guessing here. Um, but yeah, he needs to be able to throw the ball downfield. Um, it, it looks like Romeo Dobbs and Alan Lazard were the top two options uh, with Randall Cobb dominating in the slot somehow. Also, because I get, as you do as well, I'm sure, start sick questions for Aaron Rodgers. Um, Aaron Rodgers, the QB 24 today, his highest finish this year has been QB 12. You're not starting him over Geno Smith, over Jared Goff, even in bad matchups. You have to take ceilings, and Aaron Rodgers did not have a ceiling in this offense. They don't even know what they're doing anymore. Uh, A.J. Dillon's target share has decreased in every single game, leading up to zero targets today. So I just don't want a part of this offense, really. We can't consider them ceiling plays. But it's I kind of thought it was going to be a ceiling play here, Daigle, because he had his two touchdown passes in the first half, and they score two points in the second half only because on the third to last snap, the Giants take a safety. Like, they got shut out in the second half. That is very un-Aaron Rodgers-like, you know? Like, this had the makings of a four-touchdown game, and in the second half, they just got stuffed. Totally stuffed. I've got some good news. You said that whatever we say on this podcast doesn't really matter. We're not held accountable because we're gonna we're gonna want to eat all, all the words that we just said these last few minutes because of the next four games: the Jets, the Commanders, the Bills in a shootout, and then the Lions. So, I think I think they'll figure this out this next this next month. We we say shootout for the Bills, but what it could be forty one to seven, and no one will be surprised. Okay, let's go to Thursday night football. Then uh, the Colts at the Broncos. We're going to eat our words of what we're about to say about uh, Russell Wilson, Hayden, when they put up nine points against the Indianapolis Colts, 12 points. We had to save football on Sunday, and I think they finally did it. Let's talk about Russell Wilson. Um, he has since had a shoulder operation, which apparently he hurt against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, is there any news on how long this keeps him out, or is it so insignificant, Hayden, that he's not missing time at all? I mean his shoulders on his brain he's 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 making the improper reads like 
frequently. So like, yeah, the accuracy has been been an issue, but it's not just that. It's it's everything. Garrett Bowles is going to be out for a while. They're left tackle. The offensive line now is definitely below average. It's everything. Go watch the JTO Sullivan stuff if you haven't seen it. It's he's he's playing like really bad, and it's not just the arm, in my opinion. I think I think he's broken, and I, I think it's like systemic and. He needs the athleticism to throw the ball downfield. If you're not, if you don't have the athleticism, how are you create those big plays? He's locking on to Cortland Sutton, which I'm not even like that mad about because to me, Jerry Judy's been all flash. But man, I I'm very nervous here. Oh, I'm very nervous. This was a possibility to Daigle heading into this season, and nothing outlines it more than the called play to win the game at the end when it's a rub route for KJ Hamler, and he literally bypasses it to hope for the second or third window for Cortland Sutton to get open in the back of the end zone because that's where he's locked on, when you can easily see K.J. Hamler, who that ball is supposed to go to, not throwing it there. I, I don't know what's going on, but something is clearly going on for Russell I know Wilson. And I, 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 know, I don't think it can turn around here. I know what's going on with our fantasy teams and that we are only starting Cortland Sutton. Because Jerry Judy, even, I don't think it's wide receiver three territory anymore. I would imagine it's wide receiver four, five, or flex in what we predict to be higher scoring affairs. But then again, when are the Broncos going to be a high scoring team given how they're performing right now? So backfield as well, split down the middle through basically every single metric. Latavius Murray coming into town also. And remember, when this team came out in the second half on Thursday night, they played Divine Azigbo over Melvin Gordon until it became a closer game in the fourth quarter because Melvin Gordon fumbled again. They just happened to recover at that time. So I, I think they're almost done but completely with Melvin Gordon. Interesting. See, I, I don't want to give up on Melvin necessarily. Hayden, you're kind of giving me a look of like, hey, maybe you should start thinking about it. But... I think the other layer of this is they only held out Latavius Murray because of how recently he got there and like what is his role moving forward. But Melvin clearly had the most carries at 15 to 5 for 54. Mike Boone at 7 for 38. Both had three receptions for just about 50 yards. Thursday is a long time ago. I know we all wanted to forget this game, but any takeaways that you had with that, Hayden? Just in the backfield, my when I was very optimistic on Melvin Gordon coming into the season, that was assuming the Broncos weren't going to be really bad on offense. So now that we're like, if he's 60%, 65%, that would have been good enough if the Broncos were a top 10 offense. Now, like, all right, he's probably a flex play um, just because the offense, like, I, I'm, I'm curious what Vegas is going to have their implied team total next week. It shouldn't be much more than about 21 points. I consider whomever leads the team in touches, whoever that may be, I'm picking Latavius Murray as a bye week plug. And once we're done with bye weeks, which start next week, by the way, I don't know if you ever use these guys again. And the crazy part is, again, they entered this game, I think 20 or 25% of their red zone drives equaling touchdowns. And they went 0 for 4 again. I think <laughs> it's crazy. Their red zone offense is frustrating. The other part of their offense that is making no sense to me is they keep sending these shitty tight ends down the seam and none of them are named Albert O and they not a single one ever catches any of them. It is like there. I think that Greg Dolchich could be come in here and just all of a sudden get like six targets a game. If you're a real sicko out there, he's back. I think maybe next week or the week after the other frustrating part of this game was that the Colts absolutely suck too. like 26 to 41. Matt Ryan went for 251 yards and two interceptions Alec Pierce stepped up eight receptions for 81 and that backfield Naeem Hines leaves immediately on the first drive. 
So it gets split between Deion Jackson and Philip Lindsay. Any closing thoughts here on the Colts who are equally as impossible to watch on a weekly basis? It's the same thing, right? We're talking about bi-week plugs for desperate. If it's the same situation, you would want Deion Jackson for his pass-catching role over Philip Lindsay, but are they going to be in the red zone a lot? So who cares? It seems like JT is going to be back next week as well. And then Naeem Hines gets a couple extra days to, to come back. So um, Alec Pierce, I thought looked pretty good. It's a lot of contested catches on the outside. has got a little bit of juice after the catch if they can ever get in the ball. But man, Matt Ryan looked pretty cooked out there. The offensive line is just, I mean, yeah, you're right, Josh. You brought it up. Quentin Nelson's getting his, his ass kicked a little bit. What's, what's up with that? Who knows? Houston Texans 13, Jacksonville Jaguars 6. I mean, after the start that the Jaguars gave us at two and one, they've dropped two in a row. And this game came down to 422 total yards the Jaguars had, and they could only bring six points out of it. I did not get to watch this game, but when I saw the moments, it was Trevor Lawrence just failing in the red zone, like forcing throws that we, at least I'm not going to put you guys in it with me. I had thought that he had, you graduated from those since his rookie season because those spot up a bit too often. He did against the Los Angeles Chargers. I thought he had turned the corner. I thought I could throw away what happened with the Philadelphia Eagles last week with those five turnovers. But then we get it back here, you know, just 286 yards and two interceptions. Um, I hope that this isn't the Trevor that we're getting because Hayden, what we have seen is when he plays consistent football, this is a well-built and orchestrated offense and they can be very fun. These last two games have been very unfun for the Jaguars. Yeah, I can't wait to watch this one. My my only note, and I'll, I'll have better details. Um, I'm nervous about James Robinson. Just, the, I'll pull up the efficiency numbers. Just, I don't even know what they are. I can just tell you that he's at the bottom of almost every single carry uh, category. He had that one long run against the Chargers, but let's be honest, I was like, because of the Chargers, nothing about James Robinson. I would be buying Travis Etienne wherever... I can if the Jaguars are going to be uh, like the 20th best team in the league. And maybe that's where they end up settling at. I think there's going to be a lot of Travis Etienne later in the season. I'm not sure if James Robinson is going to be able to hold up. We've seen him start out hot and get worse and worse and worse as the season's gone on. James Robinson's snap rate has now decreased in four consecutive games, whereas ETM played a season high 55% of their snaps today. And Doug Peterson came out afterwards at his presser and said, it's my fault we didn't get ETN more touches. The train is only going one direction here. Mm. 114 yards on a 13 carry or 13 touches, I should say, for Travis Etienne. The crazy thing about Trevor, not to always bring it back to him, he had zero sacks in this game and still like it was a real poor ball game. And it's because he's so good at converting these sacks or these pressures not into sacks, yet he's just turning the football over too much. I don't know. It's frustrating. I, I do wonder, and maybe just viewing from the coach's copy or the all 22, when Christian Kirk, who is such an imperative and important part of this offense in the opening three weeks, gets basically shut out on three targets for 11 yards, I wonder if teams know if, like, hey, we take him away, then the rest is a bit kooky. It's it's not as you know seamless as, as it might appear to start. Um, on the Texans, then, Damian Pierce continues to rumble. 26 carries, 99 yards, and a score. We did see Rex Burkhead have three carries for 15 yards. Uh, no huge runs in this, though, Daigle, but we did get some chunk gains from Damian Pierce, and he had a Marshawn Lynch-like run where he ran over the faces of Jaguars. I'm falling in love more and more each week from Damian Pierce, and I think he's here to stay. Not that the Texans are good, 
but we know that he's getting the rock in neutral positive game scripts. And, and I agree with you that he's getting the ball in neutral game script now, but since week two, they have literally played a margin. They've lost four or they lost, uh, they lost the something past, up. They've lost the past three weeks, right? There you go. But they yes, haven't, they but they haven't lost by more than 10 points in any game just yet. Correct. So it's even even today, it's actually been close the entire time. So I wonder what happens the first time they're looking down 13, 14 points in negative game six in the first half. What happens then? That is my worry here. But if they're going to continue to hang around because of Damian Pierce, that's tremendous for all of us because as you even mentioned, that run today is really all you need to see because he is a man determined right now. They face the Raiders and the Titans the next two weeks. That's pretty good in Damian Pierce's corner. That's good. Yeah. Uh, then the third game is against the Philadelphia Eagles. So that might be Not that good. moment that you are talking about. Yeah. Two um, weeks. We're good. Okay. Chicago bears, Minnesota Vikings, Vikings. I forgot this game happened 29 to 22. None of us watched it. Uh, Justin Fields threw for 208 yards, had an awesome scramble. That was also called back, but I think more so than anything, the Vikings just dominated this game. It looks from the scoreboard 21 to 10 at halftime. Uh, Dalvin Cook, Hayden, most importantly, we talked about this heading into this game where he saw so few red zone touches. He saw so few inside the five-yard line touches in comparison to the amount of plays that the Vikings had run so far this season. That positive regression in our favor was going to happen, and it hit today with 94 yards and two scores on the ground. Yeah, big game for Dalvin Cook. I will say maybe you can argue that he is a sell high just because Alexander Madison, even in these like neutral game, like not blowouts. He's playing like Dalvin cook, like the 80% Dalvin cook. It's, it's not like that anymore. It's more like 60, 65%. So I'm not sure if we'll ever see Dalvin cook as like a, a top five fantasy running back at the same time. There is no top five fantasy running backs uh, in the year 2022. So maybe he is still uh, worthwhile, but yeah, it was good to see him at the goal line. Justin Jefferson went berserk early on, got kind of got phased out at the end of the game, but it was, the quintessential game for both the Vikings and Bears seasons because the Vikings opened with a touchdown on three consecutive possessions. Kirk Cousins set a new franchise record with completing his first 17 passes. He opened 17 of 17 wow. in this game. Jefferson went over 100 yards with 12 minutes remaining in the second quarter. They were going nuclear. And by the way, Jefferson's day could have been much better because Dalvin Cook's two touchdowns were because Jefferson got tackled inside the five twice. And then they just turned around and handed it off to Cook. But then, of course, the Vikings do what they do in allowing teams to creep back in. So the second half, the Bears make them competitive. And it took to the Vikings' final possession to ice this game. So much closer than this game even appears, even though it looked like at first the Vikings were going to run away with it. Yeah, I think 21-10 to 10 at halftime. I think Justin Fields had three completions in the first half. Yes, and Darno Mooney, look at his receiving yards in the box score. 39 yards was on one Hall of Fame grab. So he's, yes, the big play's there, but he's not getting the volume to where it matters at all. So again, in shallower leagues, you're never starting him. You can drop him. It doesn't matter. We'll watch this for stats versus film. I'm shocked to see that David Montgomery had 12 carries in comparison to Khalil Herbert's four. And two explosive had four, plays. Yeah, David Montgomery had four receptions. Compare that to zero for Khalil Herbert. So it goes immediately back to once David Montgomery's in the starting lineup, David Montgomery has the two series to the one for Khalil Herbert. And you all can scream at your walls how much better you think Khalil Herbert is because clearly the Bears think David Montgomery is better. Easy as that. That's simple. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> okay, we'll close out with the Lions and the Patriots. I forgot this would happen too. Dude, how many games were there this week? This is it. Like, this yeah, is the last yeah. one. 
with the Patriots winning 29 to nothing. 33 points on average, the Detroit Lions were averaging this season. They score none, zero, zilch, nada against the New England Patriots. Let's start with the Patriots' end of this. Bailey Zappi, <laughs> 188 yards, one score. Most importantly, Ramondre Stevenson gets 25 carries, 161 yards, adds another 14 in the air. It was going to be a huge Ramondre and Damian Harris week, but very early on, I think in the first half, first quarter, Damian Harris gets ruled out with a hamstring injury. So they truly only have one back left on the roster and Mondre gets home. Yeah, I don't think another running back played uh, an offensive snap this game. So Damian Harris hamstring injury, typically those are multi-week. Just ask Keenan Allen. Ramondre is going to be heavily, heavily, heavily involved. Um, and Bailey Zappi's played well enough where they don't have to rush Mac Jones back. And that was what I was kind of uh, fearful of, that they would like, play Mac Jones when his ankle was on backwards. They can probably buy another week if Mac Jones needs it. You know where the targets and the carries are going on this offense. Jacoby Myers returns, leads the team in targets. You can't really start anyone else unless you want to slip Hunter Henry in there, who only benefited from Jonu Smith being out, as we expected at the beginning of the week. Really nothing to talk about with the Patriots offense, honestly. It's not even sharp to think that they could have dominated today since Bailey Zappi, would knew, we knew he would start early, and Vegas still had them as three-and-a-half-point favorites. You knew the Lions today was the day they were going to crash. Patriots offensive line stepped up, though. Zero pressures allowed by them. This Lions defensive front with number two overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, zero pressures. Zero pressures. Find me another NFL game that's been played so far through five weeks where one defensive line couldn't pressure the other quarterback this entire for an entire game. That is nutso stuff from them. Um, okay. Lions offense time. And we talked about it, and Dago, we talked about it in this show a lot. Even with the Lions putting up so many points, Jared Goff has still been Jared Goff in terms of missing throws despite having clean pockets. Well, today, 19 of 35, 229, two sacks, and interception. Uh, Bill Belichick just knows how to slow down Jared Goff like he did in the Super Bowl, like he did today, and the answers can't be found. And it doesn't help when your best wide receiver in Amon Ross St. Brown plays about, I don't know, 30 to 40% of the snaps, which is what we expected heading into this game. We knew he wouldn't make an impact today. It's kind of odd they even played him considering their buys next week. I, I don't get it outside of the Dan Campbell mindset, but nowhere else to look. No explosiveness. No DeAndre Swift. You can easily shut down TJ Hawkinson unless you're playing the Seahawks. Uh, this, this was an absolute disaster today. I would say the biggest win um, of the day was injury reports and not doing your preview shows on Tuesdays and Wednesdays in the week. We do our preview show on Friday because we actually have a chance to know where some of these injuries are. Uh, DNP, DNP limited means you do not play your starting player. Same thing on the flip side with Gabe Davis to start the show. Uh, last week, D, uh, limited, DNP limited. This week, full, full, full. The box scores follow. Love that. We have done it. We have gone through every single game on the slate. Before Jets fans get upset with me, I do want to mention the Zach Wilson rushing touchdown on third and goal. It was a passing play. He goes to that first read. He goes to that second read, and then he runs it in. Great play by Zach Wilson. Credit to you, sir. Good performance. They just hate me whenever I'd say anything like that could be spun in a negative connotation. Anyways, I mean, just I've, I've watched Zach Wilson play, so keep spinning correctly. It's okay. 
That's going to do it for us. Daigle, tell the people where they can find your work over at 4 for 4. And the Zach Wilson fans will no longer find it, but you can go to 4 for 4.com where the waiver wire will be at. Lots to talk about since a lot more injuries today. It'll be up by Monday afternoon. Still use the promo code Daigle10. I believe I can get you 25% off now. I think that's the promo going on currently. So feel free to jump in there and use it. Subscribe to the channel. Leave a thumbs up. Hayden and Sosa will be here on Monday with waiver stuff. And then we continue to roll on from there. Stats versus film on Tuesday. Tears rankings on Thursdays. And then Friday, the 20 of our guys heading into week six. And we keep rolling. For Hayden, for Daigle, I'm Josh. Up the bell. We'll talk to you all soon.